Now it's time to talk about a foreign policy for the left. That happens to be the title of a new book by Michael Walzer. He was the editor of Dissent Magazine for more than three decades. He's written many books, the best known of which is Just and Unjust Wars. He's also written for The New Republic and The New York Review, and recently for The Nation. He's also an old teacher of mine and an old friend. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you, John, for having me. Well, you are a democratic socialist, and Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. I've been trying to remember his foreign policy positions during the campaign. Well, he didn't have any. Because he's Jewish, he had to give one speech on Israel-Palestine, which was a good speech. But otherwise, he did not talk about foreign policy, and, and that is, in fact, one of the one of the things that led me to um, rewrite a group of dissent essays and make a book out of them about a left foreign policy. A lot of leftists prefer to talk about domestic policy. In fact, most people who are leftists are leftists because because we've been right again and again about domestic politics, about labor rights and civil rights and racial equality and gender equality and welfare and health care and public education. But on foreign policy, not so much. We've either had nothing to say or too little to say, or we've gotten things wrong. And that's what I'm trying to, those, that's what I'm trying to address. Bernie Sanders did have some foreign policy advisors, didn't he? <laughs> yes. When he was asked to list his advisors, he included me and a group of four. We had had one 20-minute conversation two years before about Syria, in which, indeed, we had agreed that we didn't know what to do. But when he listed me as a foreign policy advisor, I realized he did not have any foreign policy advisors. And he really didn't have um, a foreign policy. So what advice would you have for Bernie Sanders and the rest of us democratic socialists? What are the basic principles of a foreign policy for the left? Well, we need to be internationalists, and that means we need to be in touch with um, comrades abroad. And that means we need to think hard about what Ignacio Saloni calls the choice of comrades, who are our comrades abroad. And we also need to attend to the well-being in the world of our fellow citizens. Can I give an extended example? Please. The national security state that we live in is a right-wing creation. The Patriot Act, massive surveillance, huge military budgets, the militarization of the police. Well, you know, it's a, this is a right-wing creation. And we've been against all of it, rightly against all of it. But we don't have an alternative. It's as if we are not interested in the security of our fellow citizens. Social security, we're very good. Yes. National security, not so much. And one of the reasons for that has been a persistent refusal to recognize enemies abroad and to think about the possible need sometimes to use force abroad. 
in the 1930s, uh, French socialists and British laborites consistently voted against rearmament in the face of the Nazis. Uh, Norman Thomas, our much-loved socialist leader, wrote a book, he published a book in 1939 called Keep America Out of War, arguing for a massive reduction of the military budget in 1939. During much of the Cold War, many American leftists insisted that there was no, that the only reason for the Cold War was American aggression, and, um, and there was no security threat from uh, the Soviet Union. In the early years of Islamist radicalism after 9-11, there were many leftists insisting that before before Boko Haram began kidnapping schoolgirls and ISIS began beheading infidels, there were many leftists arguing that uh, this was just another version of anti-imperialism and, and refusing to recognize um, a threat that needed to be addressed. So we we have no alternative to the national security state that the right has created. And that's because we're not looking around in the world and seeing what needs to be what needs to be seen. Let's look at some of the hard cases. Islamism, ISIS, should the United States take military action against ISIS in, you know, three or four or five countries around the world. I'm sure if you asked our comrades in Syria and elsewhere, they would say, yes, please, you know, bomb them, right. uh, destroy them. But in Syria, at least, the alternative to ISIS seems like Assad. Is this a case where you're in favor of doing what our Syrian comrades are at, would ask us to do? Well, let's let's begin with the Iraq case and okay. get to Syria, which is harder. In Iraq, I was against the 2003 invasion, but I did support American intervention against ISIS. For example, I strongly supported the rescue of the Yazidi people who were threatened, quite literally threatened, with massacre and enslavement. And in fact, that was a rescue carried out by Kurds on the ground and the U.S. Air Force. And most of my friends on the left thought it was a good idea to do it. Although to a man and to a woman, they would all have voted against the military budgets that made it possible, which is one of my arguments with uh, the, there's this reflex of voting against the military budget when we should be, what we should be doing is looking at the military budget and saying no here and yes here. This is what we want America to be able to do and this is what we don't want America to be able to do. That would be a serious engagement and they, that's been rare on the left. In Syria at the beginning, the people we called the good guys, the democratic left, the Demo they called themselves secular Democrats. I suppose they did want American help. And I think um, Obama was told by American operatives on the ground that these were indeed the good guys, but there weren't a lot of them. And they couldn't hold on to sophisticated weapons if we supplied them. And so Obama decided, probably rightly, not to go in. But the left, my book is a foreign policy for the left. The left wasn't getting reports from operatives in the field. We should have been talking to those 
secular Democrats, and we sh- we should have been asking them, what can we do to help you? Not not the U.S. government. What can we do? Should we be picketing Syrian embassies? Should we be organizing demonstrations? Should we be publicizing the names of people who get arrested in the hopes that that will help them survive? Maybe we should be organizing an international brigade. There was talk about an international brigade at the beginning of the Syrian thing. ISIS is an international brigade. Yeah. <laughs> Islam, Islamists can recruit in many countries. Um, the left right now can't, except I suppose that the, the volunteers for um, Amnesty International or, or Doctors Without Borders or um, Human Rights Watch their staff, those are our brigadiers, yeah. but they are um, they're unarmed. Anyway, there were things we could do, and that, that is enormously important. And, and for the record, what, what's your position on Israel and Palestine briefly? I'm still faithful to the, the two states. I believe Palestinians have a right to self-determination in a state of their own. And I believe the Jews have a right to self-determination in a state of their own. And it would be a very good thing if there were um, Palestinians living in Israel, as there are, and Jews living in Palestine, as there might be, um, with full and equal rights. So that's, it sounds utopian these days. Uh, Ten years ago, it really looked like a possibility. Um... But I think I, I think it's it is very important to keep plugging away um, for what seems to me to be the only fully justified solution. One last thing: you wrote most of this book before Trump was elected. Does Trump being president change your argument? I don't think so. I mean, I I still think we need to be engaged with um, comrades abroad. I can't can't figure out what Trump's foreign policy is. It moves from a version of isolationism, America first, to um, kind of gestural um, violence, like the, um, the rocketing of targets in Syria which was a, 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 a one-day event that had was part of no policy and had no follow-through and uh, achieved nothing. And then the, the, the bombastic talk about Korea, which, which is very scary, but it doesn't seem to be um, a foreign policy. So, yes, I, I, I think we need to be steady in our own in our own commitments and in our own um, engagements. Michael Walzer, he wrote about a new left internationalism for the nation. You can read it at thenation.com. And his new book is A Foreign Policy for the Left. Michael, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.